0: Alright, I want you to notice verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 9, it says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox, mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn, doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes no doubt, this is written that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is explaining how those who minister to us in spiritual things, they should be able to reap carnal things. He's been basically justifying praying to preacher. Every preacher who gets paid, this is his favorite passage. This is because this is how he can justify it. This is the Apostle Paul explaining how, you know, you should get paid for these things. And, you know, so obviously we don't charge, we don't send anybody a bill, but at the same time, it's just right that if you're being taken care of in something, that there be some type of compensation especially when one has given his life to these things and what paul does is in this passage he can't go to a specific scripture in the old testament that says thou shalt pay thy pastor He, he doesn't have that so what he does is he goes back to a passage about not muzzling the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn if an ox is out plowing a field he might get hungry while he's out work or not even plowing a field, but just, you know, uh, uh, working in that field. There's a good chance he's going to get hungry while he's doing that work. And if there's some corn or something growing there that he could eat, he's going to reach his mouth over and grab some and eat it. And God's saying, don't go muzzling in that ox where it can't eat anything. If it's doing the work for you, if it's helping you, you should feed that ox. And so what Paul does is he takes that principle and he applies it. To the same thing with a pastor, and he's using precedent is what he's doing. Now, last week uh, we started talking about interpreting the Bible, and we talked specifically about a method that the courts use when making judgments. They will look at the original intent of the author when they're reading a law. If there's something that's not real clear. They go and they look at other writings just to find out what exactly did the writers of this law mean when they wrote this. And it's important whenever we're using any scripture, especially for judgment, that we know what the main intent of that passage was. But that's not the only thing that we are allowed to get from a passage. We can also take passages and get and use them as precedent for other things because there's a lot of different scenarios, there's a lot of different situations, the Bible does not explain everything for every detail in life, but there's always a principle you can find somewhere in the scriptures, But we and so we want to make sure that we, um, whenever we use scripture as precedent, that we are doing it accurately, and sometimes people, they take verses and it's like, really, how did you get, you know, how did you preach that doctrine from that passage? I'm not getting it, I'm not seeing it anywhere. And we gotta make sure we're careful with that kind of thing. And so our courts in America, when uh, they use really the same method that Paul used here when making judgments about situations that we don't have laws specifically related to. Okay, and this method, it's no, it's a, it's a Latin term known as stare decisis. Stare decisis, which means to stand in things that have been decided, and that's the title of the message tonight. Is it's a Bible interpretation, stare decisis, and common law. Okay, and that's something a lot of people probably aren't real familiar with. But the definition of stare decisis: it's a doctrine or policy of following rules or principles laid down in previous judicial decisions, unless they contravene the ordinary principle of justice. Another way to explain it is: a, it's a precedent. It's a principle or a rule established in a previous legal case that is either binding on or persuasive for a court or other tribunal when deciding subsequent cases with similar issues or facts. So common law legal systems place great value on deciding cases according to consistent principle rules. Don't we think rules should be have some consistency to them? Yeah, obviously, You know, there's always going to be rules that have some differences and variations, but we should expect to see some kind of consistency. If I get pulled over for speeding and I get a $75 ticket, the rest of you should expect if I get pulled over for speaking, I'll probably get a $75 ticket, not death. That would be weird if we had judgments that were that different. And we expect there to be something similar. And so the principle by which judges are bound to precedence is known as stare decisis, which means to stand in things which have been decided. So in other words, if we've got a court and it's over a certain jurisdiction and it makes a ruling on some kind of law, it is expected that any other case that is similar to that would be ruled in the same way. So people would expect some consistency. So for example, you know, let's just suppose that Brother Brian calls Brother Austin a reprobate, okay? And as a result, of, and, and that would never happen, you know, in the IFB world, but let's just say that happens, and Brother Brian, he calls him a reprobate, and as a result of that, you know, we're not, we don't allow reprobates in the church, so we kick Austin out of the church, okay? Austin decides he's going to go to the courts and sue, you know, for defamation of character or something like that, and, you know, he feels like he's, you know, he's lost out, you know, he moved out here, and so he lost all this money. And then let's say the courts ruled in favor of Austin, and he was able to, you know, sue Brother Brian, okay? Now, that I, I would like to think that if that went to court, that's the first time anything like that's gone to court, okay? <laughs> so, you know, obviously – uh you know, I'm sure, and I'm not a, I'm not a judge, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't even know what category something like that would go into. But at the same time, let's just suppose that that was the first time our courts ever dealt with anything like that. Well then, if later, you know, Brother Matt does the same thing to Brother Hugo, and that goes to court, the judge should be able to look and say, well, you know what, this is what they decided. In the case with, you know, Brian or Austin versus Brian, and so we're going to rule the same. We're going to stand by that decision and whatever he had to do in that, Brian had to do in that situation, you know, Brother Matt's got to do the same thing in this situation. That way there is some consistency. And even if it was a different judge, if it was in the same jurisdiction, he would be expected to Judge in the same manner. And so that's why they're always trying to get cases passed in like the Supreme Court, because the Supreme Court, it's over the entire country. And so when they set a precedent on something, the whole country is expected to follow that that ruling like that, where if it was just our local courts, then somebody in another state or another city could do something completely different. But let's say, you know, the ruling went against Austin. And so he says, I'm, or even if it went for him, then Brian could say, well, I want to take it to a higher court. And then he goes like the state courts. And then if they rule that way, all the other courts under them in the state would be expected to do the same thing. So does that make sense to everybody? And we should do the same way. If we were judging something, okay? If we were, if Brother Brian was calling Brother Austin a reprobate, and then we, and then it turned out, you know, like you know what, that was wrong. He was railing, and then we kick him out of the church. If Brother Matt's calling Brother Hugo a reprobate, and it, and it was wrong, and it was, you know, uncalled for, and it was railing, and then all of a sudden we're like, well, you know what, Brother Matt's fine. Then we got a problem, don't we? Because shouldn't there be some consistency? I mean situations aren't going to always be identical. You know, they might be there might be some little differences, but we should expect some consistency in the judgments and and then we need to stick to that. And so that's why we need to make sure we're very careful that when you may, when we make a judgment that we understand we're setting a precedent. Okay, and maybe maybe we just don't like brother Brian, we're thinking this is our chance to get him out of the church. And so we go and we kick him out of the church for something really small. Well, the problem with that is if we do it to him, we got to do that to everybody. And then pretty soon we might be kicking people out we do like. You know, or we're a respecter of persons and we're just doing things however we want. That is wrong. That is wicked. That's another sermon for another day about a just weight and a just balance. Okay, A false balance is an abomination to God. There should be consistency. And, you know, and it is difficult when it comes to our legal system because our legal system in America, while it's got a lot of good things going for it, it's not perfect, is it? Our Constitution, as much as we like it, it's not perfect, is it? So it's a real challenge, you know, using precedent. All these things are great challenges. Now, the benefit we have as Christians with the Bible is we've got actually something perfect that we can go off of. And I believe that makes it a lot easier to judge. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful that we have the scriptures, but we do. We want to be very careful in these things. This is why I'm very careful in how I judge things, especially that don't involve our church. And this is why I focus on jurisdiction. We talked about jurisdiction a couple of weeks ago. Okay? One thing you'll see higher courts often do, whenever they feel like it's just being pushed up to them because people are just trying, they're like some activists trying to get things passed for the whole state or whatever, a lot of times they kick it back down to the lower courts, which is what they, many times it's what they should do. You know, lower courts should be able to handle a lot of these things, but activists try to get it pushed to the higher courts sometimes so be, so things can kind of become common law for the whole state or for the whole country. And one thing we've got to realize too Again, so if I'm making these judgments all the time and I'm expected to be balanced in these things, I've got to be real careful if I'm judging something that's out of my jurisdiction. If I, as, as a father, something that's not in my family, or if, as a pastor, something that's not in my church, because whenever I'm making these judgments, I'm setting a precedent, and I need to make sure before I set a precedent that I've got all the facts and that I know I'm right and what I'm doing. Otherwise... I'm creating future problems. And so, you know, because, for, you know, for example, you know, let's suppose when it comes to other churches, a pastor that I hate preaches something dumb and heretical. And then I just call him everything in the book. Okay, And I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for that. But if I'm judging the pastor that I don't like that way, what am I going to do when it's a pastor that I like? It better be the same thing. So keep these things in mind when it comes to making judgments. And so a lot of times it's just like, well, you know what? This really isn't in my jurisdiction. It's not in my problem. I'm going to hold off judgment. I don't have to make a judgment in this case. You know, now, listen, I'm a Baptist preacher. I've always got an opinion on everything. You don't think there's not every judge is the same way in the world. They all don't have opinions about how cases should go. But you know what? Even our worldly judges, they're often quiet about these things unless unless they're an activist judge because they understand you know it's not their place it's not their decision and you know they're they're glad to stay out of it because they could end up creating problems for themselves later if they're running their mouth about something before it's even been brought to them it could often be used against them in a case because of the fact that they've already spoken on these things and now they kind of have to judge it this way and they can kind of say the judge is going to be biased that situation and and i don't don't want to get too much into a lot of the court things i've been doing a lot of study on this stuff and i I find it very interesting i enjoy it but I i don't want to bore you all to tears with that type of thing but you know we should judge everyone the same we should not everybody hates an inconsistent judge everybody hates them and that's why people that are very harsh in their judgment often get hammered because a lot of people that are harsh in their judgment are respecters of persons You know, one guy does something that they don't like, they're all over him. But when the guy that he does like does something, then they sweep it under the rug. You got to watch out for that. Otherwise, nobody's going to trust you. So uh, whenever somebody is making a judgment against someone else, they should have scriptural basis. But the scripture has to be used properly. So how do we know we're doing this right? So for one, we look for a law or a similar case, and compare it to our situation. That's what Paul did. You know, that's what Paul did when he went back to that Old Testament passage about muzzling the ox. He compared it. He's like, hey, if God cares for oxen, if God thinks an ox ought to get to eat from you know the fruit of the owner when he's doing the work for him, for sure God cares about the pastor. He also, um, go ahead and go back to 1 Corinthians 9. <clears throat> Notice in verse 7. He says, who goeth to warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not the milk of the flock? He's saying, hey, farmers, they're eating off what's coming in. You know, guys who are soldiers who go off to warfare, they don't have to, you know, they're, they're taken care of. They're compensated for what they do. If we're compensating all these different people, then surely the pastor should be compensated too. We see in verse 14, um, he said uh, or on verse, uh, what, what verse oh, verse twelve, if others be partakers of this power over you of being able to charge you like your plumber, do you not get a bill from your plumber when he comes and does some work for you? When you do it when you go to a mechanic and he does some work for you, does he not send you a bill and are you not expected to pay that? So if others are using the same power of serving you, And charging you for it, well then surely we can. But he said, nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things that we should not hinder the gospel of Christ. If I've got to send bills to everybody for, you know, helping them spiritually, a lot of people just probably aren't going to want any help. So we do it for free, you know, hoping though eventually, you know, people will grow spiritually and they'll do the right thing and they will just start to contribute because it's the right thing to do. So we have liberty. And when it comes to these things, none of you are going to get a bill. You guys can backslide on your tithe and not ever give anything in the offering. We're probably not going to do anything about it. We're probably not going to do anything about it. But God probably will. But that's another subject for another day. So what's Paul? But why did Paul bring all these things up? He's saying, hey, if this is how we judge in these things, then surely it would be right to operate under that same method when it comes to those who are ministering to you in spiritual things. You know what he's saying? This is consistent with the law. That's what he's saying. This is not a situation that is spelled out in the law, but this is something that is consistent with the law. So whenever we're making a judgment on anything, whether we're wanting to just you know, cream somebody or whether we're just trying to figure out what we're supposed to do, we ought to look for a law or a similar case in the Bible, compare it to our situation and say, is this a measure that we should use in this particular case? Obviously, the death penalty is in the Bible. You understand that the death penalty is in the Bible. But if somebody accidentally runs into your car in the parking lot, do we need to put them to death? It, does, does that go along with anything that we see in the scriptures? No, we have laws about restitution and things in the Bible, about making things right. We have laws like that. We're going to go off one of those laws. We're not going to go off how you handle murders. We're not, we're not gonna use that. There's, there's no similarity there. Do you understand that? But there is a death penalty in the Bible. They did me wrong. wages of sin is death. I mean, you know, that, is that how we're gonna do this kind of thing? That would be wrong. That would be very inconsistent. You know, we have, and why are people like this too? Folks, the liberals, they need this message really bad. Cause it's the liberals too. All sins are the same. Well, no, all sin makes you a sinner but some sins you get beaten with few stripes some with many stripes that's we see that in the bible so we're gonna we're gonna use these laws and we're gonna look for some consistency you know one other thing you need to do when trying to figure out how to judge is find out if it's even your jurisdiction listen when you're having you know problems in your home and in your family or somebody else is having problems in their home and their family listen you don't have to make a judgment. I'm just going to tell you right now, you would do well to just hold off on making judgment in a lot of things. You know, watch out. Listen, some of y'all, you're going to go, you go out there and you're going to beat your chest about all the things you're going to make your wife do whenever you get a wife. Watch it. Somebody might hold you to that. It's going to be a lot different when you actually have a flesh and blood woman there that has a will. You know, those of you that are going to have these kids that are just perfect. You see other people's kids doing stuff, and you make all these judgments, and you make all these proclamations about things that are never going to happen. You don't have to do that. You know what? You're allowed to just shut up and say, you know, this is. I, I'm just thankful this isn't my problem. And you know what you do? You watch, and you learn, and you see what people do, and you have all the opinions you want. But be careful making those judgments. You'll find out these things are even your jurisdiction, because whatever judgment you make, you're going to expect, be expected to be consistent with that the rest of your life. So watch out for that. Also, you know, we need to make a judgment that is similar to the one made in the case that we're using as precedent. And I'm not talking about in our legal system in the world. I'm talking about in the Bible. It needs to be consistent with what we see in the Bible. So let's take a few scenarios of things that could happen today. And and there's so many examples we could do. We We could have a lot of fun with this, but I'm going to try to keep some of this short. But let's use some Old Testament law as precedent for how things should be judged. All right. So, for example, because this is, this is another thing that just frustrates me greatly with the trendies. Okay? We were talking about that this afternoon. The trendies, you have to have a Bible verse spelled out for them or you can't get them to do anything. And because we don't have a verse that says thou shalt use the King James Bible, they don't want to use the King James Bible. And they get mad at us for preaching against those who don't use the King James Bible. But it's like, wait a minute, like, yeah, there's no verse that says you have to have a King James Bible, but there's verses that talk about how God was going to preserve his word, about how every jot and tittle is important, about how you shouldn't add to or take away. So when we see all these things that the Bible tells us, that I easily conclude that there is a perfect Bible out there somewhere, and it is our judgment that it's this King James Bible. I haven't haven't seen the trendies offer up anything as a case for perfection. I have not heard any trendy get up and say, right here in my ESV is where God has kept his promise. Hey, as soon as they find one they feel meets all the criteria of what God said he was going to preserve, then I'll I'll listen to their argument. But they just want to say they're all messed up. Well, that goes against what I'm reading in my King James Bible and even some of their Bibles. So I'm not, you know, you don't have to always have a verse that just spells these things out. You know, they'll say, you know, you can't show me a verse in the Bible where it says, you know, I can't wear skinny jeans. And it's like, but how about be not conformed to this world? Oh, you know, that looked one way back then. I, I, yeah, I get that that changes throughout time, but the principle never changes. It, women. Are still not to wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garments. It's still a sin to be effeminate. If you're a man. These things are still sins, but then when we get specific in an area where the Bible is not specific. Okay? I mean, if if some trendy preacher gets up there and his pink polka dot shirt and he wears some purple tight yoga pants or something like that i can't show you a verse in the bible that says they can't do that he gets up there and as you know you know he's got his hair dyed purple or whatever i mean doing just and you know, he's up there prancing around like a little queer with his wrist bent and all that i mean folks i can't show you a verse in the bible that says you can't do all those things but at the same time i believe it is my judgment that that is effeminate and that's a sin yeah, and it's like, until I show them a Bible verse that shows them they can't wear purple yoga pants, preaching them in a pulpit, they're going to call me a legalist. That's the, and that's what they do, you know, because they don't understand this type of thing. Hey, if, and we got to understand, you know, we have to go off precedent and it's not that hard. We're supposed to be able to judge these things. God expects us to be able to make judgments and be accurate. So let's suppose though, today though, I accidentally kill somebody in a car wreck, okay? And maybe it's because of something on my car malfunctioning. Now, what do we do? Okay, because, I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that can help us, right? Because there weren't any cars in the Bible. So now I we can't make any judgment biblically because this was an accident involving a car and there's no cars in the Bible. So do we just give up and then now we just go to the worldly court system? We got to have the world help us out in this? No, I actually think the Bible can help us out. In this, because let's suppose too, my car something malfunctioned on my car, but it was something that had happened many times before. I knew this car had a problem. I don't know how many of you remember that situation. This was several years ago with a I forgot their name, with a pastor's family, where on the back of a semi, one of the metal bars was loose and hanging, it fell off, and it went under the car of this pastor's family and. Six of their kids died in in this car wreck. and the parents were the only ones that survived a horrible, horrible situation. But uh George Ryan, uh who ended up being our governor, he was Secretary of State then, and I don't remember all that happened, but this this truck was never supposed to be on the road. It was something and you know uh he ended up that was one of the things he ended up going to jail for, I guess, but it was one of these things where this vehicle was clearly a danger. To be driving and they were driving it anyway and so they the they were held accountable for that as they should have been and you know that actually lines up with what the bible says because in deuteronomy 22 8 we see when thou buildest a new house then thou shalt make a battlement for thy roof that thou shalt bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from this you know what the bible's teaching right here that we should have common sense safety precautions Oh, no, that's only about battlements on the roof. Now, don't we expect when we go into certain structures there to be some kind of safety? I mean, if if, if, if there's no, if we only have to have a Bible verse or a law has to be written for all these things, then why couldn't we build a skyscraper and then just put a door on the wall that just drops off to nothing? Now... If, if 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 anybody ever built a skyscraper and did something like that, and somebody got killed, you know what? They'd get sued. Because that's really stupid to do something like that that could easily get somebody killed. That's just common sense. Uh, you can't show me a verse in the Bible where it says you can't build a skyscraper and have a door just going to nowhere. No, I think I can. I think we can see in the Bible, God was trying to teach his people, hey, have some common sense, be careful with things, have some safety measures. We see in Exodus 21:28. If an ox gore a man or a woman that they die, then the ox shall surely be stoned and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be quit. But if the ox were wont to push with his horn in time past and has been testified to his owner that he hath not kept him in, but he hath killed a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and the owner also shall be put to death. So if there's an accident with an ox and it kills somebody, if it was something that this ox was known for and you didn't take proper precautions and somebody got killed, you are responsible. And so if I'm out driving around in a vehicle that's falling apart, that the brakes only work half the time that you push on them. And then I go and I get somebody killed. and I like my brakes malfunction. You know what? If they find out I was driving around in a vehicle that I knew wasn't safe, I should be held accountable. And that's based on the scriptures. I knew this was a danger. I knew taking that car out could possibly get me or somebody else killed and I did it anyway. I should be responsible. See, that's using precedent. Is is that would that judgment not be consistent with what we see in the scriptures? Okay, now it's it's different if it, it had never happened before. If I'm just leaving tonight and I'm flying up to a stoplight and all of a sudden my brakes just don't work at all. I go fly through there and I kill somebody. You know, I mean that's an accident. Sometimes things happen. Yeah, you know, sometimes things happen. But if that had happened a whole bunch of times and I still was out there driving it, I never got it checked, then I should be held accountable. That that would be the right thing to do. So we see scriptures that can help us. You know, we see from Deuteronomy twenty two eight we should take certain safety precautions. You know, we can we can learn from I think it's Deuteronomy twenty two five that men and women should dress different. And you know what a woman's garment was and what a man's garment was back then, it really I mean it doesn't matter. Did that only apply to what they wore back then or does it apply to what we wear today too? I think it applies throughout time, throughout all cultures that there should be distinct differences in how men dress and how women dress. And it is abomination when we try to uh, blur those lines. We also, so, uh, you know, base, you know, so the thing is, like I said, if that happened, if somebody got in a car wreck and killed somebody and it was because of a malfunction, you better believe our police are going to be asking, have you been having this problem before? They're going to ask questions about that. They're going to be looking for records on your vehicle. They're going to be looking to see, you better believe somebody's going to be checking up on you to see if you were negligent. In any way, that is going to happen, and that's the right thing to do because somebody died. This is a big deal. We don't just, ah, it's no big deal, accident. No, it's, it's a big deal. So we would ask a lot of questions to try to figure out these things. And so uh, let's look at several cases, though, too, that people often use as precedent to justify their actions and see if this principle of stare decisis would even apply in these situations, Okay. 'Cause I'm amazed sometimes at things that people bring up and they use as biblical biblical precedent for just dumb stuff. And I'm just like, Are you kidding me? You're really using that? We've talked about this one before. But how about for Christians getting involved in politics? Now, I'm not against Christians getting involved in politics. I don't I don't I'm not gonna tell you that's a bad thing, but at the same time sometimes people get a little overboard, don't they? You know, when pastors are quitting their ministries to get involved in these other ministries, influencing Washington D.C., I think, right, we've gotten out of balance now. I think, I think you got a little too involved there. I think you were, what you were doing, pastoring your church was more important than what you're trying to do now. Now that's not my opinion. That's what I think. But one of the things that, and, and, and folks, it, it does. I get, I get frustrated sometimes when, uh, churches bring in a lot of these politicians and let them speak. I got a huge problem with that. I remember when our former governor, Bruce Rauner, who was a Republican, but a pro-abortion Republican, I saw him speaking at a Baptist church that I know. I thought, really, you're going you're gonna to get up and honor this guy and let him speak in your church? What, what on earth? This, this is terrible. We see this type of thing going on all the time. And then when you bring this up and you tell these people, hey, you're out of line, you know what they always bring up? Well, the Apostle Paul and John the Baptist got involved in politics. Isn't that what they always, I I have heard many people bring that up. The Apostle Paul and John the Baptist, you better believe they got involved in politics. And it's true. In Matthew 14, verse 3, it says, For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. So you know what John the Baptist was doing? Yeah, he was getting involved in politics and he was calling out the king, wasn't he? Yeah. And he got thrown in prison for it, too. And you know what? He got his head cut off for it, too. That's true. So if you want to get up, you want to speak out against politicians, if you, want to, if you get an opportunity to get set before a leader and you want to preach to him and let him have it, hey, you got biblical precedent, buddy. Absolutely. The Apostle Paul, and we're not going to go into all the examples, he often stood before leaders, too. But was he campaigning with them? and getting his picture taken with him? Or was he standing before them on trial? Was he standing before them in chains? Often to be thrown in prison for what he said. Now, can somebody tell me how what John the Baptist and Paul, how they got involved in politics, what that has to do, how, you know, you, you know you now are on the same level as the Apostle Paul because you went and were allowed to greet Donald Trump when he came and spoke in your state and you got to ride in his limo with him. It, now, if you want to justify that through the Bible somehow, that's fine, but please don't use John the Baptist, because I do believe that just as, I think Trump is more of an adulterer than Herod was. We only see him, you know, having, just being married to somebody that was his brother's. I don't even know for sure that was his second wife. Maybe it was his first wife. I don't know, but he just married he just married his brother's wife, which was unlawful, and he got called out for that. Trump's been married three times. So... Hey, if you want to stand before him and call him out for it, hey, yeah, you got biblical precedent. John the Baptist, he stood before Herod and told him off, but he didn't ride in the limo with him. He didn't get a picture taken with him. He didn't do anything like that. Are we really sure we want to use these guys as precedent? I think you are misusing precedent in your interpretation of the Scripture. And I don't think I'm wrong for saying that. I mean, am I off? So I said, I won't go as far as to say a Christian can't get involved in politics. I'm not even going to go as far as saying you can't campaign for a candidate. But when you're campaigning for a candidate, don't compare what you're doing to what Apostle Paul and John the Baptist did. Until you get thrown in prison for something, for doing the right thing, for calling these guys out, don't compare yourself to John the Baptist and Paul. Difference, those politicians hated those guys. Your politicians love you. So, don't use that. You are out of line. You are using precedent in a false way, and you are using, handling the word of God deceitfully. That is, that's not right. So, uh, another one, and this one here, we wanna, we wanna help our trendy friends out a little bit. Turn over to Titus chapter 1. Okay, now, there's so many examples we can use. And again, I can't possibly just get up here and tell you how, you know, use how to just do this in all your Bible study. I'm giving you some examples that hopefully you can take with you and use in your own Bible study. You can use when you're listening to preaching. You'll keep these things in mind to make sure that you're not being let up a creek, that the word of God is not being handled deceitfully. But how about the famous rebuke them sharply? Okay, look at what it says in Titus one and verse nine. It says, holding fast the faith, or no, I'm sorry, chapter two or no, it's not chapter, yeah, chapter 1 and verse 9, says, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. Now notice, he's just given the requirements for a pastor because they needed men in every city, we just went through Titus, who were able to stand up against those who were teaching to the contrary. So in this particular passage, the instruction, it's not necessarily in this passage. It's not just for anyone, okay? Now, I'm, I'm showing you all this because this is what the exegesis crowd does is they'll, when we rebuke somebody sharply, they'll say, well, you're mean, you got a bad attitude. When they did it in the Bible, if you study it out and if you exegete the scriptures properly, you'll see that it was a very specific group of people You know, rebuking another specific group of people who are teaching something very specific. And so you're only able to do it in that situation. That's the way they want to try to act. And they'll bring up all these facts that a lot of people just don't know. And then all of a sudden people think they're smart, know what they're talking about. But this passage, though, I don't believe means that pastors are the only ones who can ever sharply rebuke somebody. But it is important, though, we do know it was pastors he's talking about in this passage. So verse 10 says, for there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. So these are mostly Jews that they're dealing with. And these people were unruly and vain. It specifically says, and they were deceiving people. So does this mean we're only allowed to sharply rebuke Jews? Is that what we would do with that? Well, if you study the scriptures, it's not, you know, I get it. You're one to, you're one to rebu- sharply rebuke other Baptists. And You can't use that verse because it was Jews that he's talking about here. Well, it is true. It is true he's talking, well, it's mostly Jews. It wasn't only Jews, but this so but this though tell this tells me a sharp rebuke would be in order when there's those among you being unruly and vain. And cuz that's what was going on there. Okay? And so verse 11 says whose mouths must be stopped. Who subvert whole houses teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre sake. So these people, they were they were successfully turning entire houses for profit. Okay. Now let me just say this there's people out there that are wrong, but I'm not real worried about it because they're not fooling anybody. Okay. I'm not real worried about the you know drunk on the street, you know, yelling out Bible verses and things that has no idea what he's he's not fooling anybody. Nobody's following him. I'm probably not going to waste a whole lot of time with that guy. But these people that they're rebuking were successfully turning people. It says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Even one of their own prophets were saying bad things about them. That's how, that's how wicked these people were. He said, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men, that turn from the truth. So again, notice what they were teaching here was Jewish fables. So does this mean from this passage that we can only rebuke Cretan Jews promoting Jewish doctrine and fables? Now, is it not important that we know that this is what was going on in this passage? It's important. We should know these details but obviously, these aren't the only people who are allowed to sharply rebuke. Ultimately, the problem with these guys, it was not the fact that they were Jewish. It wasn't even the fact, too, that they're talking about Jewish fables, but it was the fact that they were turning people from the truth. That was the problem. People who did have the truth were now being turned from the truth because of what these guys were teaching. In this case, it just happened to be Jewish fables. So does that mean now I can't rebuke a Calvinist if he's turning people in our church to Calvinism? You know, I'm going to rebuke him. If somebody starts promoting Calvinism in this church, you better believe we're going to rebuke them sharply. Oh, no, you can't do that. In the Bible, it was Jewish fables. But the thing is, you are turning people from the truth with Calvinism. And so if turning people from the truth with Jewish fables requires a sharp rebuke, I think it's safe to say, if we're going to judge consistently, that Turning people from the truth with any false doctrine deserves a sharp rebuke, doesn't it? So we're going to use that precedent. Because did, did the Apostle Paul then, after he got done with this, say, also remember, sharply, here's a list of things you're allowed to sharply rebuke people for. And then give a list. No, he didn't need to give a list. You shouldn't have to give a list because, you know, the truth is, there's a lot of false doctrines out there. And all of a sudden, this would have become a really big book. But you know what? It's okay for us to take the judgment that Paul made here, and he said, Titus, here's a situation, here's a group of people you need to sharply rebuke, and whenever we have a situation that is similar, people are being turned from the truth, we've got people that are being unruly and vain, and they're talking, we should go and do the same thing that the Apostle Paul said to do, and rebuke them sharply, because there are enough similarities. So if somebody starts causing division in our church, and is turning from the truth even if it's it's not a Jew teaching Jewish heresy we will sharply rebuke them based on this precedent does that make sense yeah pastor trending in skinny jeans is right this wasn't this was a Jew these were mainly Jewish people promoting Jewish fables but we're going to use the principle from that and we're going to sharply rebuke anybody it's causing division in our church and it's turning people from the truth. It's okay for us to do that. Turn over to Romans chapter 16. So how about, uh, Mark them? That's another verse we like to use. Mark 16 verse 17. Now this one here, uh, he, he doesn't go into a whole lot of spe- specifics. He's just kind of talking about a lot of stuff and at the end, and if you look at the end of Paul's writings, he often Hits a lot of different things. He's greeting different people. He's mentioning different groups. Uh, there's a lot of subjects that are often brought up in the Apostle Paul's writings. And so when we go to Romans 16 verse 17, you know, we don't know a whole lot about what he was specifically talking about when he said, mark them. So what are we, you know, that's an example though. We can take the facts that he does give, but we can also look at other scriptures that he brought up and we can find out probably what his intent was. That's where we use, we can use original intent, but let's go and read this passage. It says, now I beseech you brethren, mark them, which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine, which you have learned and avoid them for they are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. Now, there's not a whole lot of specifics in here about what the fair words and fair speeches were. There's not a lot of specifics when it comes to the doctrine and things like that. So, you know, do we just kind of throw this verse out because we don't have a whole lot to go on? No. Basically, we are allowed to mark those which are, who are causing division. Okay? If somebody's causing division, okay? Now, again, somebody who's causing division not someone who just disagrees with us all right so for example let's say somebody starts visiting our church and maybe they're front, they don't have a baptist background maybe they're newly saved and then you know one of you uh they they invite you know they get to know you and they invite you over to their house and while you're at their house you notice they have an NIV bible on their bookshelf and maybe you just can't handle that you're just like you know I need to say something to these people you're like, hey, uh, I noticed you have an NIV Bible on your bookshelf. You know our church is King James only, right? And they're like, well, you know, I know your church is King James only, but, you know, I, I'm i not real sure. I, I think it's easier reading the NIV. You know, I, I bring my King James Bible church, but I read the NIV. Now, we would all agree that's not a good idea. That, that's wrong. That's not the position of our church. I think you ought to always use a King James Bible. Okay, but now let me ask you, should you then come to church that next Sunday and tattle on me and then we mark them? So you know what? We've got somebody in this church. They're not in agreement with us on the King James issue. Well, here's the thing. Are they causing division on that? You know, people, when they get saved, they're just not automatically downloaded with all the accurate doctrine. Do you know what? it takes some people a long time to come around on certain things? You know, some people are just kind of slow learners. Now, said it's different if they're going around telling people in the church, hey, you know, I think you ought to read an NIV instead of a King James. I think it's easier to understand. Then we have a problem because they're causing division. You know, if one of you all, all of a sudden I see you, guys find out you guys are reading NIVs that I feel should know better. You've been here a long time. Hey, why are you doing that? Hey, well, our visitors that started coming, you know, brother so-and-so, you know, he thinks it's easier. And I find out they're telling you all this stuff. Then you know what we might have to do? You know, first, I'm going to go talk to them. I'm going to go deal with them. But if they're not, if they're not willing to shut up about these things and stop causing division, then we might need to get up and mark them. But again, if you just find out they think differently just by chance, that's not them causing division. So, you know, that's not necessarily an appropriate time. And you can say, mark them, mark them. All your Bible says, mark them. But wait, are they causing division? That's what it said. To do that for not just everybody that's wrong because you know what we're all wrong on something we're all wrong on something you know i'm sure everybody in here there's something that we teach in this church that you're just not completely sold on and if that's you you know what that's fine as long as you're not causing division we're not going to throw you out of the church if you don't agree with us completely on certain things if you don't believe you know it's, it's one thing if it's a salvation issue but if you don't if you're not completely sold on the whole eschatology thing you know we're not going to throw you out of the church for that just because you don't completely agree with that unless you're causing division. If you're causing division, then we have another problem. So what about, too, marking those that are outside our church? Does this mean we can only mark those that are within the church? Okay. Now, let me say this. If somebody's out there targeting our church, of course we'll sound the alarm. If we find out there's somebody that's outside this church, Try specifically to teach people in our church something that's wrong, you know, or somebody that got kicked out or, or used to be here. You know, we're going to mark them. But what if it's even another preacher preaching damnable heresy, but it's just them preaching to their church, and they have no clue who we are? You know, should should I mark them? Okay, this is a pastor in another church. He doesn't even know who we are. Okay. Is it appropriate for me to mark him? So, let me say this. As a shepherd, I am supposed to protect the flock from wolves that try to come into the flock, that try to influence the flock. You know, I'm not gonna go leave the flock to go hunt for wolves. You understand? Let me tell you, there's a lot of wolves out there. And I'm not, but at the same time, and, and, you know, I've had people get mad at me for not going on wolf hunts, When they were popular but the problem is The supposed wolf hasn't been anywhere Near our church Sometimes you know there's preachers Out there that are wolves I've never even heard of before So why would I Go looking for them Uh, Really I've had people Send me emails and messages hey Pastor Tommy You need to preach against this person I'm like you know if I haven't even Heard of them I probably don't need to go studying them So I can have somebody to preach against I mean Obviously, they've not gotten in our church, but if there's somebody that's outside this church and their teaching is in our church. In other words, it's affecting people in our church. Okay? You know, for example, you know, let's take a Joel Osteen or somebody like that. Somebody that's famous, that has a lot of influence. You know what? It would be okay for me to get up and call out somebody like that. Well, he's not even, he's not even in our church. Yes, but if he is influencing people in our church, then I should and I can mark them. And so that's the thing. I'm not just going to go looking for random people to mark. You know, I, I listen to a lot of just random preaching on YouTube. And, you know, there's been people I've heard just preach horrible heresy. But it's like you look and they got like 15 subscribers. I'm not going to go and publicly expose these people because all I would be doing is probably giving them more of a platform. You know, I'm not going to introduce you all to heretics. It's like, anybody ever heard of this preacher? I'm going to expose him tonight. It's like nobody in that. Because then if I preach against him, you know what y'all are going to do? You're going to go home and you're going to Google him. And then now you're going to be hearing his preaching that you wouldn't have before. But again, if it's affecting our church, then of course it's okay to do that. Now so, now let me say this, because there was a situation uh, recently where uh, I was named in a church for you know because i we teach things contrary to this church and this wasn't a new it was an old ivy church and one of the things were brought up was um you know post-trib and repentance now people in this church were sharing my stuff and the pastor in that church does not agree with this and does not like it you know what he had every right to get up and name in that situation now When i saw that you know i I had to send him a text because i i like this pastor it's like hey you know you had every right to call me you know mention your people me because yeah i do preach post-trib but at the same time he mentioned repentance too and i'm like hey we're on the same page with repentance i took issue with that one And, and you know and he apologized and he even made it right with his church uh and let him know but at the same time if i'm teaching now i've never targeted this church i've never tried to you know get their people my information but it's out there and it was being shared he didn't have a right to get up and say hey tommy mcmurtry he teaches things contrary to our church and you know what you all don't need to be sharing his stuff in the church a pastor has a right to do that you understand that and, and if he did just stopped at the post-trib i, I think that would have been fine but at the same time he had he had every right to do that because my preaching was causing division now here's the thing I've been marked. If people in that church continue to share my stuff, you know who we should go after? The people in his church. And if we mark somebody, and I got to get up and I got to preach a sermon, you know, slamming some guy that's a false prophet, you know, we're marking them. That's okay. That's biblical. But let me tell you something. If I do, if I have to get up here and mark somebody and say, this is a devil, this is a heretic, we do not agree with this. This is contrary. His teaching is influencing our church. He's a bad guy. He's a reprobate, blah, 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 blah. Once I do that, just understand, if you all keep sharing that stuff, I'm not preaching another sermon about him. I'm preaching a sermon about you. Because now it's not him causing division anymore. It's you causing division. And let me tell you something. Marking people is biblical, but you know what else is biblical too? Avoiding. We're going to mark and avoid. Avoid. You know what I, what I want to do when we mark somebody, I want to mark them and then I want to forget they exist. I don't want to keep bringing up their name. I don't want to preach about them every week. I don't want to have if I have to do that because you all keep sharing the stuff. I'm not going to do that. I'm coming after you. We're marking you. You are now the villain. I'm not preaching a 14 sermon series against Joel Osteen. I'm preaching one sermon against him. And then I'm going to preach 13 sermons against you until we get until we get you straightened out because we are going to mark and avoid. And let me tell you something: there's people that we've fellowshiped with before and friends that we've and like people. And I just I don't ever want to mention them again. When we throw something, I don't play with my trash. You throw it in the trash and you forget it. And I could start bringing up some names right now, but then I'd be breaking my own rule. I'm thinking of some crazy people right now. There's always one to pop their head up and do weird stuff. <laughs> and so y'all, you know, you know, you know, you know what I'm thinking. I, I don't, I don't want to bring that up. I don't want to name that. I don't want to pull the trash out of the trash, and yet it still stinks. It's still gross. No, we've thrown it in there, and 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 some of those people like that I'm thinking of right now. If you're still being influenced by him, he's not the problem. You're the problem. Mark and avoid that's what we that's what we've got to get a hold of that's what we've got to do and so because and a shepherd should protect the flock from wolves that try to come into the flock but at the same time you know i'm going to stay focused on our flock and if if there's somebody out there that's preaching some heresy and it has zero impact on our church i'm not really worried about it i'm not going to go searching youtube tomorrow Go looking for a bunch of sermons and see, all right, I'm going to see if I can find somebody who preached heresy this week. And I'm going to expose them. Got all these people. Because, I mean, think about it. There's always been a lot of heretics, but, you know, there's a lot more on the Internet now that everybody's using, you know, Facebook Live and YouTube and stuff and live streaming their services. A lot more heretics are online right now. I don't have time to go looking for all of them. I, I, I don't have time. I don't want to. But at the same time, if one shows up, you know, we will. And just folks, just mark it down, right? This needs to be the policy. And I've had people I've named multiple times before, and I I just, I need to move on from that. But when we name somebody here, when we mark them, we need to mark them, we need to make it clear, and then that needs to be the end of it. And if you're still sharing their stuff after that, you know, your name's next. You know, and you might really like that message I preach. To them, you know, because you know there's there's bad people out there. You might enjoy, but I, I'm telling you, there's some the, there's some Ruckmanites. I probably talked about too much. You know what? We know who they are. We know their names. I don't think I don't expect people to be sharing their stuff. And if y'all are sharing, y'all find I'll, I'll name one. All right. If I if I find y'all out there, you know, sharing Sam Gip stuff, I'm not preaching another sermon about Sam Gip. Y'all understand that? He's got he's gotten way too much pulpit time. I'm preaching against you, because it's not Sam Gip causing division anymore. Not, not not anymore. It's you. You're the problem. You know what I want to do with people like him? I want to avoid them. I, I'm not gonna go watch all his sermons look, looking for the next heresy. I know he's gonna preach heresy. I know I know that. I don't need to go listen to all of his sermons. I, I've done my part to help expose people like him. I've done my part to mark, and now it's time to avoid. I'm not going to go troll his Facebook. I'm not going to go troll his YouTube channel. Try to set everybody straight. At this point, I've done. I've done probably more than what I need to do in that situation. I'm going to move on. And so there is there is a time to mark somebody, even if they're not in the church. So if you're sharing John Piper material, you know I'll preach one message on John Piper. Next message. It's on you. Once they've been marked, after that, we are going to avoid them. We've made it clear in our church that kind of junk is not acceptable. We are against it. And you know what? Maybe you, and and, I don't listen to John Piper. I just hear his names. I really don't know much about it. But maybe, for some weird reason, you get something from him when you listen to him. Maybe he's got some good doctrine somewhere. Okay? I'm not going to get up here and tell you, you're not allowed to listen to this person. I'm not going to do that. I don't have the right to tell you what you can listen to in your home. But here's the thing though, if you start spreading that stuff around the church, and maybe you know how to eat, the, you know, chew up the meat and spit out the bones, not everybody else can, you know, understand this person's been marked as a part of this church. I need to, I need to honor that and I'll keep this stuff to myself. That, that's what you need to do. again, when we throw something in the trash, we want to leave it in there. I don't want to play it, pull it out and play with it every so often. So we could go on and on with examples like this. But I would encourage you, take the time, whenever you see any scripture used as a precedent, it should just be a reflex with you. Anytime I get up and I'm using a Bible verse to explain why something's wrong, that's happening in politics, I'm, I'm talking about some current event in light of the Bible you should ask yourself, was it appropriate for him to use this scripture? Is there any precedent from this at all? And is this precedent that is his interpretation of this and the judgment that he's making, is it consistent with all other judgments? Because the whole point of this stare decisis is we want society to have a certain expectation uh, when it comes to certain laws. And, and so we call that, we call that common law, just things that People understand that are common and that helps everybody kind of know how to act and know what to do. And these are these are some good things. And it doesn't work perfectly in the court system out there. You know, there's there's exceptions and things out there. But thankfully, when we're doing it, we have the advantage of measuring everything up against something perfect. And that is the law of God. And so we need to learn how to watch for these things, and I believe it will help you. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word, dear God, and I pray you'll help us to uh, be diligent when it comes to our judgment. Help us to take the time to study these things out and try to make our judgments according to your word. Help us to be consistent. Help us not to be a respecter of persons. In your name we pray. Amen.